welcome back to Nina's Digest. I'm considering this to be my first official episode because the last one was so short and just a little introduction. Um, Something that I feel like I left out of my first introductory episode is more of an introduction to myself uh, in terms of what privileges I have. I think anyone who is working in the healthcare space and dealing with weight, mental health associated with weight and diet really needs to be aware of their own privileges and the ways in which their own body affects the ways that the world receives them. So I am and have always been a straight-sized, thin, white woman. So keep that in mind as I discuss all of this. Um, You know, it's definitely something that impacts my perspective. You know, none of us are immune from diet culture and all the ways that that impacts us, but it has undoubtedly given me some advantages. Some other little housekeeping things. I'm in my last week of my dietetic internship. Cannot believe it. Um, When I first got to Miami in January for my seven month long internship, I downloaded an app on my phone that told me it was a countdown app and it told me when I would actually be able to leave because I was just so scared, so intimidated and really didn't feel ready for the internship. I was just panicked, but fast forward six and a half months later and I'm crying intermittently about leaving my friends here and the city that I've come to love so much. Anyway, let's get into The Eating Instinct, Food, Culture, Body Image, and Guilt in America by Virginia Soulsmith. So from her website bio, Virginia notes that she started her career by giving diet advice in both teen and women's magazines. And she reported on environmental health issues like the rise of the modern alternative food movement. She spent over a decade watching that movement's obsession with whole foods and clean eating merge with the war on, quote, obesity, unquote, and the belief that women's bodies in particular should be smaller. And when we think of the alternative food movement, we can think of people like Michael Pollan um, and, and those folks. So she writes that it wasn't until her own daughter stopped eating as a newborn that Virginia was faced with sort of realizing how many of us actually don't feel safe around food because our fears about body size have spun so out of control. So the eating instinct tells the stories of people of all ages, all learning how to eat again on their own terms. In the preface, Virginia poses this question, what does it mean to learn to eat in a world that's constantly telling us not to eat? She describes that when her daughter stopped eating after a severe medical trauma, food was both their enemy and their salvation. Then she admits that this question related to what it means to learn to eat in a world that's constantly telling us not to eat is the one that she's been asking herself her whole life as a woman who grew up with the alternative food movement and the war on obesity. She goes on to say, nothing connected with food happens in a vacuum. Modern diet culture doesn't just happen to teenage girls trying to lose weight for prom. 
It's influencing how all of us think about food every day and at every meal, often in hidden and unconscious ways. And I think that this is such an important thing to think about because it's true. This is the environment that we were all born into. It can be pretty easy, and many people unfortunately have this as their entire life's experience just to go through life thinking that modern diet culture is the only way and that it's normal, that we should all be desiring and prioritizing weight loss when really that's not the case and there are other ways to live. Virginia then states that diet trends do not discriminate on the basis of age, weight, race, or social class. They target each of these groups in specific and personal ways. But even some clinicians associate eating disorders with the stereotypical young, noticeably thin, female, often white body. And that's a problem. So something that I found really interesting in her preface is Virginia's mention of the fact that she might not have ever questioned any of these pressures and ideas around eating if it weren't for her need to teach her daughter Violet how to eat again after her medical trauma. Her daughter taught her that eating can and should include trusting your own instincts and prioritizing your own safety, comfort, and pleasure, which don't sound like radical ideas, but actually they are if you look at the health advice that's out there. Not all of it, but a lot of it. And this doesn't mean that you need to have a child that has to be taught to eat again in order to question these structures around food and diet yourself. Um, something that really helps some people rethink their relationship with food is actually to consider their child self, to think about how they would treat the younger version of themselves who is helpless and in need of nourishment and care. Because in a lot of ways, we are still that young child, just in adult bodies with like work clothes on um, and with more responsibility. And another way to sort of simulate this experience that Virginia had with her daughter is to think about how you would approach a younger sibling if they were having issues with eating. Um, that is something that a lot of people have found really helpful too, because not all of us have a child that we need to teach to eat again. So towards the end of her preface, Virginia sets up the rest of her book by sharing that when she wrote a piece on this for New York Times Magazine about Violet learning to eat again, she was flooded with emails and comments from people who were struggling in similar ways, either with their own children or themselves. So she decided to speak with these folks, collect their stories, and now we're all lucky enough to be able to read them and learn from them in The Eating Instinct. Chapter one is called Nothing by Mouth. This is also known as NPO in the hospital. It's Latin for nil per os. And, you know, this is the designation given to people who maybe are going into surgery and they're not, not allowed to eat or drink anything. Um, but Virginia's daughter, Violet, was NPO for a really long time. And this, you know, brought a lot of stress onto especially Virginia as her mother. So in this chapter, Virginia talks about the impact that our parents' reactions um, have on our ability to trust our own bodies and listen to our own internal cues related to hunger and fullness. And when I say reactions, I mean reactions at mealtime, at snack time, reactions that a caregiver has to the ways that we are choosing to eat or the ways that we're not choosing to eat. Um, the battle over what she calls, quote, just one more bite, unquote, for the picky eater and the bans on sweets and what's deemed as junk food for a child who's been placed in the overweight category don't actually lead to the desired result, which is, of course, improved health. 
there is plenty of research out there that suggests that when children get rewarded for eating what they're told are healthy foods, they report that they don't like those foods as much as other foods, and they actually crave the foods that are deemed bad more. It's a tricky topic because parents obviously do need to socialize their children to, for example, eat at mealtimes to eat a variety so these are sort of the external things that kids do need to learn but we find that you know with the very best intentions many parents take more control over this than is needed and this has an impact on children so the chapter then moves into a discussion of the many food rules that we first see others imposing on themselves when we're little and that we then impose on ourselves in turn later in life She says, quote, we don't eat after certain times or on certain days. We eat protein, but not carbohydrates. We'll chew our calories, but never drink them. We choose whole foods, not processed foods, butter, not margarine, breast milk, never formula, unquote. And I think we can all relate to that. Um, One of, I think, the most important parts of this chapter is the simple statement Virginia makes that successful eating requires both a strong connection to our instincts and the right set of learned behaviors. So even if kids get through the first few years of their lives as intuitive eaters by preschool, most have already started to disconnect from their own internal hunger and satiety cues. Teachers impose rules, which again are both needed in a certain sense and converge on problematic, if not imposed with care. And family members may begin to praise quote unquote good eaters. So these are all just a couple of the things that start to cause us to disconnect from our own internal sense of when we want to eat, how much we want to eat, what we want to eat. Virginia then poses the question, when eating flies off the rails, which it does for a high percentage of children and adolescents diagnosed with feeding problems and disordered eating, full-blown eating disorders, and people who have been labeled obese, do you try to modify the behavior, the disordered behavior or whatever is going on by imposing yet another set of rules and conditions? Or do you try to reconnect those internal cues that you were last able to tap into back when maybe you were an infant or if you were lucky maybe you were a young child who was still responding to your own hunger and fullness cues so sadly this question has caused a big rift among healthcare professionals and anyone who studies food and nutrition you've got the weight-centric camp who believe that body size and weight are a direct indicator of health or if not a direct indicator, they believe that the correlation or causation there is pretty strong and that it's worth paying attention to and discussing. And then in the other camp, you've got those who say, let's focus on what are actually modifiable health-promoting behaviors and put weight to the side. I'm in the second camp, if you haven't been able to tell by now. And my feelings on this debate are what earned me lots of eye rolls and sighs in my dietetics program. I was always that girl that whenever we had a chance to do a project, my, my presentation or paper or whatever it was, was about why weight doesn't matter as much as we think it does. <laughs> um, so next, when discussing her feeding difficulties with Violet, Virginia brings up a really interesting point about all of the purported benefits of breastfeeding. 
They, of course, include improved cognitive development, stronger immunity against infections, and a reduced risk for obesity. But the important point that she makes here is, uh, and it's one that can, you know, it's a point that can be applied to most studies that are nutrition related, is that it is nearly impossible to parse out which benefits actually come from the intervention itself, in this case, breastfeeding, and which benefits come from the fact that those who breastfeed more often are in a higher socioeconomic bracket, have higher levels of education, and have more financial security. Studying nutrition in this sense is really, really difficult. And a lot of what have turned into our guidelines and recommendations come from these studies. And I think that we really need to, you know, especially as dietitians, anyone who who works with food, we really need to look at the information that we have, the guidelines that we have, and take them into consideration and use them as jumping off points. But listen more and value more what our patients are saying about their own lived experience because these studies have limitations that I don't think we acknowledge nearly as much as we should. So on the last page of her preface, I think I'm just going to read this this um, section because it's it's so good. Virginia says, feeding well, any human will tell you, is the most important job a mother has, especially in the first months of her child's life. But right now, in America, we no longer think of food as sustenance or nourishment. For many of us, food feels dangerous. We fear it. We regret it. And we categorize everything we eat as good or bad, with the bad list always growing longer. No meat, no dairy, no gluten, and goodness, no sugar. Everything has too much sugar, salt, fat, too many calories, processed ingredients, toxins. As a result, we are all too much. Our bodies are taking up too much space in our clothes and in the world. Food has become a heavy issue, loaded with metaphorical meaning and the physical weight of our obesity crisis. And for parents, food is a double burden because we must feed our children even while most of us are still struggling with how to feed ourselves. When the feeding tube first went in, I thought the hardest part of teaching Violet to eat again would be persuading her to open her mouth. Actually, the hardest part was letting go of my own expectations and judgments about what food should look like so I could just let her eat. All right, guys, that was chapter one of The Eating Instinct by Virginia Soul Smith. Next, we will be moving on to chapter two, which is called Chasing Clean. So you might be able to guess that that is a bit about sort of the clean eating movement, the eco-food movement, the eco-gastronomy or alternative food movement and all of the culture around that. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for being here.